Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Are you wondering what's going on with all these banking failures and what's behind them? We'll break it down. When it comes to the high-profile banking failures of late, I don't think we in the media have done a great job of explaining them or even understanding the whole phenomenon ourselves, which is why I did a bit of research, really a deep dive, for a story that just aired on my Sunday TV program, Full Measure, Sunday, May 7th. I'll tell you how to watch a replay of the story in just a bit in case you're interested. But after doing a lot of background research, I thought it was important to not get just one viewpoint as to what's going on and how we got here. Frankly, people disagree on a lot of the fine points, and I think both sides can make good arguments. Isn't that the way with the economy? You can find learned and accomplished economists who differ on the best way to ensure a strong economy, and it can be hard at times to say who's right. I mean, sometimes that's possible looking back, but not always. So I consulted with a key Democrat and Republican. Both of them serve on the House Financial Services Committee, and both of them have a firm grip on what's happening, at least their own views as to what's really going on. So you will get to hear from both of them. First, here's Republican Warren Davidson, a congressman from Southwest Ohio. People are hearing banks are failing, we're in a banking crisis. They don't understand what's going on. I don't quite understand what's going on. How would you describe? in a summary form, what what we're seeing today. You're seeing the consequences of uh, bad policy decisions. So Milton Friedman won a Nobel Prize for saying, hey, if you print money, i.e. grow the supply of money, uh, that's that's inflation. And inflation is going to flow from the monetary system to assets, and it's going to hit consumers. It is not going to be transitory. So in the 70s, that's what Milton Friedman's Nobel Prize was for. And... Um, initially, they said, well, this won't cause inflation. Close your economy, limit the supply, massively prop it up with federal spending, and then artificially hold rates low on top of that. Um, Of course, it's going to cause inflation. Um, I created, I started talking about it in May of 2020, and I created the Sound Money Caucus in July of 2020 because it was going to cause inflation. And uh, some people in the administration, some people in the Federal Reserve, some people in the Treasury said it wasn't. Well, it, they know that it was, and it did. And then they said, well, it won't hit consumers. Then it did hit consumers. And then uh, they said, well, it's going to be transitory. And it clearly isn't transitory. Um, so then when the Fed finally acknowledges it's not transitory, they start raising rates very rapidly. And so the people that had bought Treasuries um, when interest rates were low, uh, were, were, were now in a situation where if they sold those treasuries, they were worth about 20% less 
than there would be in the market today. So banks have lots of these treasuries from when rates were low just a few years ago. Um, and now if there's a, a demand to withdraw a whole bunch of money from a bank, which is what happened at Silicon Valley Bank, then they had to sell them at a discount. So the management team at Silicon Valley Bank uniquely managed this interest rate risk uh, badly. So I'm not saying no other bank managed it badly, but most banks and most consumers weren't caught off guard to say interest rates are going to rise, weren't caught off guard to say, hey, now's a good time to refinance when rates were low. Now might not be as good of a time to refinance when rates were high. Average consumers know that. The real question is, how did the people that run this bank not know that and then take actions? And then how did the regulators not um, see that coming and then take action uh, um, ahead of having to shut the bank down? One thing that I think is concerning to some people is that you mentioned this. The um, is Jessica Yellen, Janet Yellen, Janet Yellen said that the inflation was transitory. Let's say temporary. Is that what that means? Yeah, gonna... the, this too shall pass. And so, in the grand scheme of things, isn't all life transitory? Right, but a lot of people weren't saying that. So when you look back at the top expert who's supposed to know being wrong about something so important, and yet she's still in place. And I'm not suggesting she did any of that on purpose, but it's hard to have confidence in the same people who have been very wrong about important things in the past. Yeah, not just Secretary Yellen, but Chairman Powell and most of the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. And I think that's the challenge, right? Um, you know, in, in theory, we say we have a free market economy. But since the creation of the Federal Reserve, who sets the price for money? The Federal Reserve. So they're the setter of value for interest rates. They don't have to be as aggressive with setting rates as they are. Uh, but when they artificially held rates low and we were spending so much money from Congress, uh, we were spending more money than anybody would even lend us. And there might have been somebody that would lend us the money if rates were higher. But when rates were at one and a half percent, the only taker was the Federal Reserve. So the Federal Reserve's balance sheet grew from four trillion dollars to nine trillion dollars. So you had like five trillion dollars that really, you know, they say printed. It didn't literally get printed, but it was just added to the ledger. It was magic money, really, in a, in a way. And uh, we really do owe it back to the Federal Reserve. They're the ones that lend it to the Treasury. So there's a distinction there that maybe not everybody gets is the Federal Reserve is separate from the U.S. Treasury. Treasury issues the debt and the Federal Reserve um, normally just lends to banks and makes the market function. Prior to 08, 09, they only had a trillion dollars total on their assets. But in 08, 09, when we had the financial crisis then, their balance sheet grew to $4 trillion dollars. Uh, almost overnight. So an additional three trillion, three and a half trillion back then. And then in this last 2020 COVID pandemic era, it grew another five trillion dollars. So when the Fed had those rates held so low um, and the market wasn't setting rates, you were counting on these experts that you just referenced being right. And clearly they weren't right. Uh, and so the solution isn't to just count on them to be right now. The real solution is to let markets set rates. And you'll know you have equilibrium. Historically, you don't get inflation under control until the short-term interest rates are as high or higher than the rate of inflation. So inflation has been as high as 8.5%. Think if interest rates had to go that high to get it under control. So kind of both things eventually come down together. And when they come together, which we're closing in on, we're 4.5%, 4 and 3 quarters, actually. Um, and you're saying you're at about 6.5% inflation. So let's say they meet at 5.5%. 
How fast do we get there? Uh, don't know. And the real question is, in the meantime, are banks, are the management teams in banks uh, being responsible in managing that interest rate risk? And that's what our regulators have to make sure happens. <clears throat> Beyond the United States, I've read about Deutsche Bank and Swiss Bank and other banks that are buying or in crisis. What's going on on a global scale that's impacting the United States or what do you see? Yeah, so a lot of times people would say, uh, see, it's not Joe Biden's fault because uh, other countries have inflation too. Well, they have inflation because of the same bad policy choices. They closed their economies. They um, spent lots of money to prop up the fact that their economy was closed. And then central bankers did the same kinds of things in Europe, for example. Uh, so they have the same problems in Europe and Switzerland and Japan. Uh, and so you have the same kinds of phenomena going on there. Um, Credit Suisse had some unique problems that UBS didn't, that other banks in Europe uh, don't. Uh, Deutsche Bank has some challenges as well, uh, where you look at some of the other banks in Europe seem to be more stable. But it's a challenge. Even when you look at uh, the central banks, they have the same problem on interest rate risk, right? So it really goes back to, in, in a lot of ways, it's a wonderful life, right? Things stay stable as long as no one panics. But once everyone runs for the doors and says, I have to have my cash now, it really can be destabilizing to the banking system that we have. People who don't understand what's going on but are hearing the headlines, including me, I'm hearing from a lot of people and a lot of young people saying, I'm taking my money out of the bank. I'm taking my money out of, I was told by somebody, fidelity. You know, they're scared and some of them are buying Bitcoin. Some of them are taking out of cryptocurrency because of the FTX thing. I just feel like there's a lot of uncertainty and lack of understanding as to what's going on. What would you say to people who aren't don't understand anything about interest rates and how inflation impacts the economy and stuff, but they just hear this disruption and they're worried? Well, the good news is for the vast majority of Americans, uh, their deposits are safe. They have a $250,000 federal deposit insurance corporation um, coverage for, you know, almost everyone in the country. They have less than $250,000 uh, in their account or in any one account. Right. And so when you have deposits at banks, that insurance is the government saying, look, even if something bad happens and the bank fails, we will give you your money. So uh, the downside is that they won't guarantee how, how much your money will buy. Right. They'll give you 250000 back. But if you start having failures, then you really will see um, inflation go back much higher. Right. Because people will say, oh, I have to have more dollars to buy things. And that's really what inflation is. Things cost more. You don't spend as much. So if you look at like, what does eight and a half percent inflation mean to an average person? Well, it means you're still going to work for 12 months, but you only have 11 months of paycheck. You know, that's a 0.3% inflation is it took one twelfth of your money. Uh, and so it is theft in that sense. When you mismanage the money, you make bad policy decisions and you cause inflation. Um, it really is. So people are right to say, how do I protect my money? And when you hold it in cash, the downside is, you know, look, the, the part of why the wealth gap happens, it isn't because of the tax rate. The wealth gap happens because uh, people accumulate wealth not by holding cash, but by holding assets, whether it's stocks or commodities or real estate, for example. All those things get inflated with inflation. So the wealthy people have more assets than people that are living paycheck to paycheck. So those assets get inflated, you might measure your wealth in dollars, but you don't accumulate your wealth in dollars. You accumulate it in assets. 
And so um, when people are pulling their cash out, if they hold it in cash, cash is getting destroyed. I mean, Ray Dalio, famous uh, hedge fund manager, said cash is trash, right? And you've got to put it into something that's a store of value. Some people are looking to real estate. It's uh, historically a store of value. Some people are looking uh, to proven commodities like gold or silver. And some people are looking for, in the crypto space, the one that's solid and proven uh, and, and clearly not controlled by any one entity uh, is Bitcoin. And so people believe in that and they're putting into that. And there's a saying there. I, I don't know if the people will bleep this, but the saying in the space is there's Bitcoin and then there's shitcoin. Um, not necessarily everything that isn't Bitcoin uh, would be in that second category, but things that have been in the news for basically being pump and dump scams manipulated by one central person instead of a real stable uh, system. Uh, Bitcoin over time is, you know, since since the whole space was created really by Bitcoin has proven reliable versus lots of things have really just turned out to be pump and dump scams. Looking at what the government may do, there is some concern that there may be some kind of almost power grab as the government looks to resolve issues with the banks, meaning take measures that go too far, in the opinion of some people. People are now worried that there will be a quick move toward more control over our currency or a central currency of some kind that won't benefit people. Should people be concerned about what the government may do as a result? Absolutely. And look, uh, our government has a history, and most governments do, of never letting a crisis go to waste, right? I mean, that's the Rahm Emanuel made that phrase famous under the Obama administration, but there are crises that are happening. And around the world, over 100 countries are studying a central bank digital currency. What does that mean? It means that instead of the Treasury issuing the money and, you know, the Secretary of the Treasury signature being on it, it would really be the same people at the Fed that uh, said this inflation wasn't going to happen, then said it wasn't going to hit consumers, then said it was going to be transitory, and then mismanaged the interest rate risk would be the people controlling all the money. And it would be controlled by a central authority, literally, um, in that sense, cancelable by a central authority. It can be filtered. That's what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. And some people in government, and, and including in this administration, are saying, gosh, we kind of envy what China's doing. We need to keep up with China. And I will say the way to keep up with China is not to be more like China. It's to be more like America. And uh, the, the people with the central bank digital currency have also talked about having what China does as a social credit score. They've talked to, we had a hearing in uh, the House Financial Services Committee when Maxine Waters was chairwoman on nationalizing credit ratings combined with a central bank digital currency, which is exactly what China's doing. What does that mean? Because I always hear about the, the social aspect of their currency. Explain what that means. Well, it basically means, hey, if you're good with uh, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party, then you get access to credit. Not whether you can repay or not. Your whole status financially depends on whether you get the loan, whether you get uh, even payment systems, whether you can travel to certain parts of the country. All depends in China whether you're good with the party and Xi Jinping in particular uh, these days. In uh, the United States, it's not linked to your political views historically, though there is a movement afoot to try to do the exact same thing. And, you know, what hasn't been politicized in these days? And you look at kind of the COVID response. They wanted in some countries, they implemented what they called a green pass. You literally needed a QR code on your phone to go places. They did this very aggressively in China. And lots of people have said, man, we wish we had those kinds of tools here. Uh, and they take uh, advantage of these crises to do that. And if you look 
in the Senate, as you and I are speaking, uh, Senator Warner introduced a bill called the Restrict Act. And it's ostensibly meant to check the power, the influence of TikTok. But never mentions TikTok. Doesn't mention TikTok. Um, and it's uh, supposed to be focused on international threats, right? But the reality is it creates a domestic police state tool that could be used against anyone. Uh, and, and inevitably it will be. I mean, all the people that sounded the alarm on the Patriot Act have been proven right over the years. This bill, the Restrict Act, is creepier and more power transferring to central authority than the Patriot Act. Uh, so we need to be going the other way. Look at the base issue. And privacy is fundamental to all of this. If you think about, uh, we're working on a bill called the Payment Privacy Act. So if you think about like MasterCard, for example, um, we'll know how much did they pay to Walmart in a given year. Um, and if you use MasterCard, I suppose the bank at least that you use would be able to look up and say, how much did you spend at Walmart per year? Uh, but they shouldn't be able to make that public. Uh, and they shouldn't be able to share that with the government unless they get a warrant or a subpoena. But they certainly shouldn't be able to drill down to the next level of saying, well, what exactly did you buy? When did you buy it? Where did you buy it? How often did you buy it? Um, and if they don't approve, literally be able to cancel it. Um, that's what a social credit score means, is they've got that kind of tool in place. And the Restrict Act is one such example uh, where the tools would be in place to be able to start doing those kinds of things. So I think the work that we're doing in Congress is so important to make sure that some of our colleagues don't panic and do crazy things, maybe naively. Uh, but we also stop the people that are being a little too cunning trying to implement this. Now, whatever their motives are, I don't know. Uh, it's always hard to ascribe them, but I will tell you it's a really bad idea. And I think the future of money is probably the most important policy debate we're having today um, because you know that's how people measure their wealth, but it's also how they store the wealth, store the value. And how they, it's a, the means of exchange. Last thing on this, every dystopian future that you read, whether it's fiction or as I take the book of Revelation scripture, uh, money is used as a tool for coercion and control. Instead of being a store of value and a means of exchange, it gets corrupted somewhere along the way. It's always depicted as evil. Why would our country be working on this? Okay, I have two final questions. Um one of them is a tall order, and if it doesn't work, that's no problem. But as you describe the issue, you know so much about it, and it may even sound like you're speaking in really simple terms, but I know to people that don't follow this, when you start talking about interest rates and money supply and these relationships, it's really hard to understand. Is there a really simple way to synopsize this banking crisis we're having now that doesn't get arcane, that you can just tell, if you were trying to tell a fifth grader what's going on, what would you say? Well, let's say your fifth grader gets an allowance of $10, and they trust their buddy to hold the $10 for them. Well, they don't really have $10 anymore. Their buddy owes them $10. So to the extent you trust your buddy to give you your $10 back, well, okay, you can give that friend $10 and know that he's going to give you 10 back. Um, but if you've got a different friend that you give him $10 and you're like, where'd he go? He's over buying snacks and goodies and cookies and everything. He stole your $10. Uh, that's the worst case scenario, right? And if you think about inflation, it's really sophisticated theft, right? It, it takes a lot of steps, but effectively when you give your buddy $10, you're only going to get eight or nine back. Uh, it might still say it's $10, 
but the purchasing power has gone away. So it has the effect of only being $9 instead of $10. So that's kind of where we're at with the banking system. So when you hold it in cash, that's the risk over time that either your buddy doesn't give you the money back uh, or he gives it back in a way that's worth less. So inflation is the root of the issues we're seeing today. Absolutely. And that's a policy decision. And then um, what would be your advice to ordinary people who are saying everything seems very uncertain? I don't really know what to do. Well, um, you know, make sure that you've got some cash because you need it uh, to when a crisis happens. That's how you pay people. So I think it makes sense to have some cash. Uh, our payment systems in the United States are pretty good and reliable. We're still the world's reserve currency. So when things get bad everywhere else in the world, people still want to hold dollars. So in 2020, when things were going crazy, people were cashing out of stocks and bonds and everything else to get cash. Because you can do all kinds of things with cash. And what are you going to do with a bond? Even if you get a block of gold, there's only so many things you can do with a block of gold. Cash you can pay people with. Um, but at the end of the day, put your money into something so that when your buddy's holding it, it doesn't become worth less, right? It doesn't become less uh, valuable. Uh, but but if anybody that watches the Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, knows that, you know, the whole fundamental of the banking system is a lot of that money gets lent out. So if everybody comes and wants their money back all at once, it creates almost an impossible situation. So you don't want all of your money right away. You want somebody, though, that you do trust to take care of your money. So I say, go talk to your bank and make sure they're doing the right things. Uh, and that's really what Congress is doing is making sure our regulators are back focused on doing the right things and understanding, how's it that you guys missed this? Next, we'll get a different take from Democrat Jim Himes. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now here's Democrat Jim Himes, a representative for Connecticut's 4th Congressional District. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, the, the really important headline is that the banking system is safe. Uh, and I say this as somebody who lived through 2009 when the banking sector was really in jeopardy. Uh, today, it's safe. Silicon Valley Bank had some very unique features. Um, it was largely venture capital money. Uh, it was a very uh, kind of incestuous group of people that got talking together on the message boards and all decided to withdraw their money at once. That's called a classic bank run. And sure enough, the regulators stepped in, as they are trained to do, um, we all had a nervous four or five days, but they did what they needed to do. Silicon Valley Bank is now sold to another bank and the depositors are all protected. They're protected for the other banks that went under as well, Signature. And of course, First Republic was was in some danger. 
all of those depositors are, are protected. And the other thing that Americans need to remember is that so long as you don't have more than $250,000 on deposit at a bank, up to $250,000, your deposit is guaranteed. So if you're worried about your bank, you don't need to go withdraw those deposits. Now, Silicon Valley Bank had folks that deposited many, many millions of dollars, in some cases, billions of dollars. That created a problem. But the American public need to know that the system is safe and their deposits under $250,000 are guaranteed. For people who are only hearing headlines and not understanding everything, we're hearing about banks in other countries that are saying that they're in trouble or up for sale. What's going on in the big picture there? Well, it's important to remember that bank failures are not new. Um, and in fact, over time, you know, every year, every couple of years, a bank fails. Um, management team just gets the risk management wrong. And so banks fail. The question is, does it spread? Do people get hurt? And in the case of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature, um, there was a little concern that it might spread. It didn't. And nobody got hurt in the end, other than the management teams that had mismanaged those banks. Um, so you see this around the world. Um, but uh, I mean, pe again, people should have confidence that they uh, that the American banking sector is strong. One of the things driving this, of course, is so. So why did there's a lot of reasons why Silicon Valley and we touched on some of them found themselves in trouble. Banks are adjusting to higher interest rates right now, and that's a different environment that they have not been in for decades now. And so managers get paid a lot of money to manage their banks, even when interest rates are going up. Most of them are doing it right. Some of them are not. And that's what we saw with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, when you look at the whole system, cryptocurrency, talk about central government currencies in other countries, there just seems to be a lot going on, a lot of moving parts. What would you say to people who say, I, I don't really understand the security and safety of my money. I don't understand what's happening with cryptocurrency. Is it good? Is it bad? The FTX failure. What's some of your thoughts about that? Well, I'm absolutely not in the business of giving people advice on where they put their money or how they spend their money. But there's, the, you couldn't be more different between a bank where you have guaranteed deposits. Again, people should be very comfortable that their money is safe and cryptocurrency, which is a hugely risky, very, very volatile um, thing to do. Now, if you're sophisticated and you want to take a bet on cryptocurrency, you know, that's obviously your right to do so. But, you know, for the average person out there, just knowing that their bank accounts are safe and thinking about long-term financial planning um, is the key. I mean, I know there's a, there's a frenzy around cryptocurrency and I always know that, you know, a, a bubble is probably about to burst when, you know, cab drivers and people at the grocery store are obsessed with cryptocurrency. Just people need to understand no one really knows what the future of cryptocurrency is or if there is a future. And so, Put your money there if you want, but understand that's an enormously risky place to put your money. When we're talking about the reasons behind some of the upset we've seen lately, what are the big differences traditionally that you think Democrats and Republicans have in terms of what's at the root of the cause? We spoke to a Republican who thinks it's inflation, 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 bad policy decisions. What's your take on that? Well, what you'll see and what you've what you've seen this last week, of course, is one party emphasizing one aspect, the other party emphasizing the other. The, the fact is the Silicon Valley got into trouble because inflation caused the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates. Now, again, rising interest rates having an effect on the financial services market. No manager. These managers get paid a lot of money should be surprised by that. And I mean, you know, a high school kid in a finance class knows that rising interest rates has financial implications. Well, the highly paid management of Silicon Valley Bank got it wrong. But so they're not wrong in saying that part of the reason for the meltdown at Silicon Valley was rising interest rates, as well as bad management, as well as, frankly, um, regulators who knew there were problems inside that bank. They knew six, seven months ago that there were serious problems inside the bank. They didn't probably act fast enough. So we should 
unpack all of that. We should, and in fact, yesterday we talked to the regulators. Um, you know, we should look at why management at Silicon Valley made such bad decisions. Um, the question of interest rates and inflation, you know, of course, the Republicans will blame the Democrats. The Democrats will place will blame the Republicans. But you know, over time, the economy will have inflation or deflation. And you know, the truth is that no president, no Congress has a lot of control over that. If you need, um, I'd like to present since. On the economy, I can't, as a reporter, go, this is true and this is false, because, you know, the economy's philosophy and theory. We, we don't always know exactly where everything's going based on what. If I want to counterpoint a Republican claim that inflation is real and bad policy decisions are at the root of the issues that we have, what is a good counterpoint from Democrats on that? Well, if you want to talk about inflation politically, I mean, you know, in the economics profession, inflation is pretty well understood. There's no question we have inflation. If you want to talk about it politically, of course, the Republicans say it's Democratic overspending. OK, there actually is true and false for reporters and for everybody else. What they say is partly true. Um, it is also true that the overspending that they're talking about was six trillion dollars of spending two-thirds of which happened under the Trump administration, okay? So um, as somebody who understands economics, I would say, yes, coming out in order to make sure that people didn't starve to death, that businesses didn't go under, the federal government spent an enormous amount of money, $6 trillion over the course of the last four years. When the Republicans say that's a Democratic problem, baloney. Two-thirds of that was spent under President Trump. If they try to make Democrats out to be the big spenders, they the deficit under Donald Trump was absolutely record high deficit. So I sort of hesitate to go there because it's being dishonest in service of your party. Um, and both parties do that. But, um, you know, what well, really- it's, it's a good point to make. Um, inflation is not a creation alone of the Biden administration of because not. of spending, although there has been spending. So I think that's a good and valid point. To yeah, make. no. And, and what is interesting about inflation, again, you know, the two parties will blame each other. What's interesting is that we haven't really seen inflation in about 20 years in this country. So you've got bankers. You've got people who operate in financial services who have never seen these conditions. Now, that's not letting them off the hook. Again, they get paid an awful lot more money than I do to, to actually understand these things. And in some cases, they did not. Anything else you'd like to add if, if we're just trying to kind of explain what's going on in the fiscal sense here in America today? Um, I mean, we talk about the debt ceiling because that's sort of related to all yeah. this stuff, if that's interesting to you. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, again, I think that's a tough subject to understand. As a observer, I hear people say they shouldn't raise the debt ceiling because that just lets them spend more money. And then someone's explained to me that you have to. I mean, it's it's again, it's a complicated topic, but not that complicated. Okay. So a hundred years ago, the Congress, in its infinite wisdom, decided to put a legal limit on the debt. And the theory a hundred years ago was that that would slow the growth of the debt. It never did that. The debt has been growing, you know, since World War II. By the way, if you want to be partisan about this, it shrank under a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, who ran surpluses and reduced the size of the debt. If you want to be political about it, the point is the debt has been growing. And so what happens is because there's a legal limit on that debt, when we spend money on solving the COVID problem for the unemployment insurance, for the aid to businesses, we spend that money, the debt number goes up if we don't tax adequately to pay for that spending. So the debt limit has been exceeded because of spending that we all voted for. And now the Republicans are saying, oh, wait a minute, we don't want to raise the debt ceiling to allow for the spending that we, in many cases, voted for. And the problem with that is, apart from the logical problem with that, is that if we reach a point where we can't pay money out as a federal government, that's Social Security recipients. That's the paycheck of our, of our sailors, 
of our Marines. Um, that's interest on the United States debt. And that's where it gets really dangerous, right? Because the world assumes that the United States will always pay interest on United States Treasury obligations. And if all of a sudden, you know, my Republican succeed, friends succeed in creating doubt about that, the kind of nightmare we saw in the financial markets in because of Silicon Valley Bank will look like child's play. And what's really irritating about this is that this comes up all the time. In the four years of the Trump administration, the debt ceiling was raised three times. You didn't hear about it. I voted on it, but you didn't hear about it because when Donald Trump was president, oh, let's just raise the debt ceiling. Let's get moving. Now, with the Democratic president, the Republicans are saying, unless you give us what we want, um, we're going to torpedo. We're going to not raise the debt ceiling. We're going to torpedo the United States economy because there's a Democrat in the Oval Office. I encourage you to look at the Finnish story that I reported on for full measure. It aired Sunday, May 7th. It's all about the banking crisis. And I also went into the history of our banking crises going back to the 1930s. There are some disturbing commonalities. Seems like similar problems keep happening over and over again, despite all the regulation that we've put into place, all the money we've spent trying to avoid this sort of thing. At the same time, if you want to look at the replay at fullmeasure.news, you will get to see our new and improved website. That's fullmeasure.news. Be sure and check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast, and my website, CherylAckeson.com, for off-narrative, good old-fashioned, accurate, fair reporting on issues that matter to you. We're not reporting on stories for each other, for other media, or for political figures to further a particular narrative. We're keeping you in mind with our story choices. And be sure and visit my store at CherylAckeson.com. Click the Store tab to support independent journalism causes with smart and fun products that have slogans such as, I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All my old ones came true. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. <laughs>